God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course, he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. That's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to the Scott Adams Show. I think we're coming in a little late. A today. little late. Uh, that's because we better had, late than never. We had a technical glitch. A wire touched another wire, yeah. and kaboof! We had to start over. Um, so, but we're here now. Technology. Well, joined by Leonor Cavota. Hello, Leonor. Good morning, Scott. So, you know, um, Ukraine. And Russia are heating up. And a yeah. lot of people, you know, are wondering what the, the big deal is about that. We're going to be covering that today. Um, and, uh, you know, we can't be giving Russia all that they want, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, in terms of getting all their goodies back in, into the jar. And Belarus is being uh, run by corrupt governments. Ukraine is corrupt as, as can be. Um, so there's no really good players in this whole thing. But we've made, and other NATO partners have made a commitment to support Ukraine, you know, well, following its separation from the Soviet Union in 1991. So that's a lot of why we care. And then um, we were going to go, uh, we're going to go over the uh, year in review of Joe Biden. Yesterday not- was one year. You know how fast time flies when you're not having fun. When you're not having fun. Yeah, Absolutely. So uh, I like it what Cambry Cambry writes, nothing is built, nothing is back, and nothing is better. That's wonderful. (laughs) That's so perfect. A perfect use of alliteration. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of an incredible, incredible how they are still pretending vaccine mandates are useful. And Jen Psaki's entire job is explaining that her boss means the opposite of what he actually he, he says. says. Well, you know, other press secretaries have had that problem, too. But it, but it didn't not happen. Not Trump. Well, no, I was going to say, I didn't say not with, certainly not with Donald Trump, but with other press secretaries, it didn't happen every day. She is constantly having to walk back what he said. And that's why they don't like to put him out there. So uh, Jackie Heinrich of Fox News shouted the question to Joe Biden, and she said, why are you waiting uh, why are you waiting on Putin to make the first move, sir? I thought that was a great question. A wonderful question. But it was described as a stupid question. <laughs> yeah, the president's response, or Joe Biden's response, uh, was basically, what a stupid question. Yeah. And <clears throat> the audio engineers picked that up. He kind of mumbled it. But it's not a stupid question. And Brett Bruin uh He's been getting a lot of praise for writing this tweet. He says it's not a stupid question. It, it, it's a really important one. And Brett we Bruin can, is from the Obama administration. Yeah, and we continue to allow Putin to set the terms, timeline, and trajectory of this crisis. It's time we stop being so reactive and start creating some of our own conditions. So that's kind of interesting. And we have actually a clip that we're going to be playing here uh, in, in line with this uh, subject matter of Ukraine and Russia. 
and I wanted to play uh, a Tucker Carlson open. So let's take a let's take a listen to uh, to this. I think we got it. Uh, yeah, we're just catching up here. All right, here we go. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson. Tonight, there's nothing more tiresome or predictable than a cable news host who makes the show about himself. Narcissism is to TV people what black long is to coal miners, and we do our best to avoid catching it. But tonight, we're going to break our rule and tell you about something pretty interesting that happened to this show a couple of days ago. On Tuesday, we did a segment about the nation of Ukraine. Now, Ukraine may be a perfectly nice place to visit, but you wouldn't think it would get a lot of attention from a superpower like this one. Ukraine's a pretty small country, really. It's in Eastern Europe. It's 5,000 miles from Washington. It's got a population about the size of the state of California. So hugely significant? Not really. And yet we never seem to stop talking about Ukraine. As the vice president of the United States, Joe Biden himself spent an enormous amount of his time meddling in the internal affairs of Ukraine. And because of his influence in that country, his son Hunter got a job at a Ukrainian company and got rich from that. Then Donald Trump was impeached for speaking on the phone to an official from, yes, Ukraine. And now, as of tonight, we're moving closer to a war over Ukraine. In the coming days, Russia may violate Ukraine's eastern border. And this, we are told, cannot stand. In Washington, the territorial integrity of the United States means precisely nothing. Walls are racist. We're a nation of immigrants. But the territorial integrity of Ukraine, that is something we must fight for. Watch as a remarkably broad spectrum of political figures appear on all three cable networks to explain that if Russians cross the Ukrainian border in an undocumented caravan, we have the moral obligation to use force immediately. We will move more NATO assets closer to Russia, not further away, uh, if they once again bring war to Ukraine. It's just not going to be that simple. I think we should be doing a lot more and we we shouldn't be just considering a diplomatic track. There needs to be clear consequences for what they do because we failed to deter and now you're inviting conflict. It's a, it's a, it's a very bad situation and we've, and we've left ourselves without many options as a result. I don't think we're providing the deterrence necessary to stop Putin from invading Ukraine, the breadbasket of Russia. And it's time for the Biden White House to start speaking more clearly and more aggressively and telling us how they're going to stop this invasion from happening. Oh, they're all red in the face, but it's not the usual partisan chorus. This is the entire choir. You just saw representatives from every faction in Washington, from Adam Schiff to Dan Crenshaw, not as different as they seem, and all the dummies in between, And all of them are promoting war against Russia on behalf of our new and deeply beloved ally, the government of Ukraine. Vladimir Putin is our most dangerous enemy, they scream. We can't let him hurt Ukraine. So it turns out Russiagate was actually more effective even than we'd realized. The Steele dossier has been debunked. But in Washington, the theme remains in force. Russia, 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 Russia is bad. What is this about exactly? Well, obviously, it's the usual collection of children falling for the usual collection of lies. But why this specific lie? On Tuesday, we tried to get to the bottom of this because it seems like it matters. We spoke to a man called Clint Ehrlich. As Ehrlich pointed out, there are a lot of factors here driving us toward war over Ukraine. But one of them, a central one, is NATO. So what is NATO and what is the purpose of NATO since the fall of the Soviet Union 30 years ago that NATO was designed as a bulwark against? Well... No one can answer that question, not one person. And yet the same people who cooked up the Iraq war are now insisting that Ukraine must join NATO anyway. That would mean putting American military hardware right on Russia's border. And Russia doesn't want that any more than we would want Russian missiles in Tijuana. Hence the tension. Now, the irony, as Clint Ehrlich pointed out, is that NATO doesn't even want Ukraine to join. In other words, the whole thing is nuts. It serves no American interest whatsoever. It is yet another manufactured crisis, this one devised by restless, power-hungry neocons in Washington looking for another war. Here's part of what Clint Ehrlich told us. Here we have people who are arguing that even if the Russians don't uh, invade Ukraine, that we need to invade and kick the Russians out of Crimea. That was an op-ed from a senior Obama administration official this week. Uh, And so I would say that it's even simpler than that. We're dealing with our 
warmongers, unserious people whose policy prescriptions could have deadly serious consequences. The deeper irony is that NATO doesn't even want Ukraine, that it's a corrupt country, it's more of a liability than it would be a military asset. And the people who are pushing this simply argue that it needs to happen because Russia shouldn't have a veto over who's in NATO. In other words, even when it's in our mutual interest to not have a state in NATO, we have to insist that they'll be added just to spite the Russians. Well, that was an interesting conversation. And those seem like fair points. If they're wrong, go ahead and explain how they're wrong. We'll listen. But official Washington is done explaining anything, as you may have noticed. So instead, the very same foreign policy geniuses who brought slave markets to Libya went insane with rage. Not since we made fun of pregnant flight suits have they been this mad. Fox host unabashedly makes Putin's case, barked CNN's White House correspondent, unabashedly shows how the disinformation successes of Russian intelligence extend way beyond Trump. Tucker's all in for Putin, noted Bill Kristol, a man who couldn't even run a small circulation magazine, but imagines he should run our country's foreign policy. And then a former DNC contractor called Alexandra Chalupa announced that this show's opinions violated the law. This isn't journalism, she wrote. It's an ongoing FARA violation. Tucker Carlson needs to be prosecuted as an unregistered agent of the Russian Federation and treason under Article 3, Section 3, Clause 1 of the U.S. Constitution for aiding an enemy in hybrid warfare against the United States. A death penalty offense! What Alexandra Chalupa didn't mention, speaking of FARA violations, is that she herself has extensive personal ties to the Ukrainian government. In 2016, Chalupa contacted Ukraine's embassy looking for dirt on Donald Trump's presidential campaign. Now she says that anyone who doesn't believe Americans should die for Ukraine must be sent to prison. Virginia Congressman Jerry Conley didn't go that far, but close. He called us right-wing agitators spewing Russian propaganda into millions of American homes like a virus. And then Congressman Eric Swalwell of California, man who literally had sex with a Chinese spy, apparently multiple times in very strange ways, agreed with this. Carrying Putin's water again, he wrote on Twitter. And then one of Barack Obama's speechwriters accused us of being, quote, on the side of ethno-nationalist authoritarianism. Oh, ethno-nationalism. So if you don't support fighting a war on behalf of all-white Ukraine against all-white Russia, you, my friend, are a racist. And so on. So what's so interesting here is that there was not a single argument, not a single idea in any of it. These aren't just Twitter trolls. These are people who imagine themselves foreign policy heavyweights, deep thinkers, statesmen. But when challenged, all they could muster was name calling. They went ad hominem immediately because they had nothing else. They're pathetic. That ought to worry you, though, because they may be pathetic. They're also very powerful. So in the end, it fell to poor Kamala Harris to explain why we need to fight for the honor of Ukraine. And she did it on the Today Show, the Biden administration's forum for deep thoughts on foreign policy. Here's what she said. And on the subject of Ukraine, I will tell you that the president has been very clear and we as the United States are very clear. If Putin takes aggressive action, we are prepared to levy serious and severe costs, period. And I will tell you that part of the the posture that we have taken is grounded in the respect and the value we place in sovereignty and territorial integrity. (laughs) reading her little talking points as vehemently as she can. But the best, the emphasis we place, the value we place on territorial integrity, borders, sovereignty, the right to determine who comes into your country and when. That's the word from Kamala Harris, the lifelong open borders activist. So how should Putin handle this? Well, Putin had a better imagination. Apparently he doesn't. He'd paint the Russian tanks now massed on the Ukrainian border with the slogan, no person is illegal. What would Kamala Harris say to that? On what grounds would she tell Russians who just want a better life with their families in Ukraine that they can't come to Ukraine? If the Russians just quoted Emma Lazarus, Kamala Harris would have to back off and support them and their voting rights in Ukraine. But unfortunately for them, the Russians are just too literal for this. When they invade a country, they just go ahead and call it an invasion. But you still have to wonder, invasion or not, why is any of this a profound concern of ours? Why would you even consider risking American lives or sending billions of dollars to stop it? There are multiple borders wars underway around the world. There are multiple just on the continent of Africa right now. There always have been. Many are dying in those wars. 
And yet Kamala Harris is not agitating for American troops to Congo. How come? We can only speculate about that. Evening. So, you know, there's a lot to uh, unpack there. And uh, I agree with his uh, complete narrative. I I agree with that whole statement he just made. It's a long statement. But a couple of things are true. NATO doesn't want Ukraine. They they don't. Uh, Ukraine's been trying to get into NATO for quite a while. And they've not gotten the open arm treatment. That's number one. Number two, Ukraine uh, people, they, they, a lot of them want Russia. Right. If you were to take a poll or have a vote. Yeah. So they would vote themselves in. Then how do we justify that uh, you hear all these comments from the U.S., from leaders of the U.S., well, leaders of Britain, that we got to go help yeah. Ukraine? And Biden, Biden has not been clear. Yeah. And, uh, and then a lot of people are asking the great question, what about our borders? Yeah. Why do we care so much about Ukraine's sovereignty and their borders when, you know, uh, we have borders that are wide open? Yeah. So these are all great questions. And then the other part of this is this. Ukraine had an opportunity to be sovereign and independent. Yeah. They, they were nothing but a cesspool of corruption. Right. Yeah. And so Belarus, uh, Belarusia, um, is the same picture. Yeah. And so one of the problems is it's like a snowball, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and uh, as the snowball gets bigger yeah. and more dominant and stronger, uh, we want a uh, marginalized Russia. Yeah. We want a weaker Russia. Yeah. But everything that the Biden administration did uh, was counterproductive to that. Right. They did nothing but help Russia by closing down Keystone, our pipeline, right? Yeah. That we were working on. Right. To make us energy independent. Our own energy independence. Right? Yeah. Uh, and then you got the Nord Stream 2 going into Germany, right? Mm-hmm. And feeding and fueling NATO countries uh, with Russian oil that's making Russia rich. Yeah. And making America more dependent on our enemies, like OPEC nations, if not Russia, for oil. And petroleum. And we're in big trouble. So everything that they've done has been great for Russia. And now, all of a sudden, to put our, our soldiers in harm's way, of course, they're not really talking about that right now. They're yeah. talking about sanctions. Uh, but sanctions suck as well. Because I think where, where our relationship was going under strong leadership, it makes me think of Ronald Reagan. When Ronald Reagan said, there's peace through strength, and yes. Gorbachev tear down that wall, uh, there was a lot of respect there. Uh, part of the reason why we had the Cuban Missile Crisis was John F. Kennedy was untested, and John F. Kennedy was being being tested because he looked like he could be weak. He didn't have a, a referendum on the vote. He barely won that election in 1960. And I think Khrushchev basically thought, um, was it Khrushchev? There was the president during uh, Kennedy. I think it was Khrushchev. I think so, too. Um, But in any case, um, he was tested because he was young. He was an upstart. And uh, and, uh, the test, you know, you don't want those tests. Because if if one thing goes wrong, next thing you know, you got you got an all out war. And right now, there's a lot that could go wrong with Joe Biden and his crew. Uh, They would do anything to distract. You know, are we talking about the Texas shooter right now? No, that seems to be a long forgotten story. And it just happened a few days ago. Right. We're not talking about it because we're talking about now. We're talking about a country that really doesn't have much matter in this. It doesn't matter that much. Now, let's take a listen to this shorter clip from Tucker because he addresses one other issue. None of this benefits America in any way. Let's take a listen. What we do know is that the administration's Russia policy would only make sense if your goal was to gravely hurt the United States of America. And they do. Already we have spent nearly $4 billion in aid to Ukraine over the last few years, much of it for weapons. 
The point of this is to tweak Russia and, if necessary, to kill Russians. Our elites feel very superior about this morally. They brag about it constantly. So it's, an up, it's a win for them. But what about the cost to the rest of us and to our country? China is the preeminent threat to the United States. Absolutely. Nothing comes close yeah. to the threat that China poses. Here's the truth. The U.S. military, impressive as it is, is not big enough to engage meaningfully simultaneously in Europe and in Asia. Can't do both at the same time. So our attention to Ukraine, by definition, detracts from our attention to China. But worse and more dangerous than that, more dangerous than anything, it drives the Russians into an alliance of convenience, of necessity, with the Chinese government. So here you have our two biggest rivals united. United not simply against our military, but against our currency. When the U.S. dollar is displaced as the world's reserve currency, and when that happens, this country will become poor overnight. This, what you're watching now, will be one of the reasons why it happened. So it's hard to imagine anything more significant or destructive than what these people are doing right now. It's not just about Ukraine, it's about our future. What we do know is that the administration's... Yeah, let's take a listen to this, this uh, other part of his excerpt. This is a different uh, segment. So while the rest of us have been distracted by Omicron, a word that's going to be the punchline of incredibly bitter jokes five years from now, Omicron, as that has been taking up all of our disk space, the country has inexorably been moving closer to what could be an incredibly destructive war with Russia. Our media is encouraging that war. On MSNBC, the lunatics are demanding to know why Joe Biden isn't doing more to defend the territorial integrity of Ukraine. We've got to be aggressive in our defense of our allies. And Ukraine, despite what you hear from Putin propagandists, propagandists across the world, and yes, even here in America, despite what you hear, we have to defend our democratic allies. And it's time for the Biden White House to start speaking more clearly and more aggressively and telling us how they're going to stop this invasion from happening. People that stupid should not have TV shows <laughs> on adult topics like War and Peace, but they are. So you have to ask yourself, why is this happening? Why are the Russians so upset? Why are we moving towards some kind of conflict? Well, there's one reason. Over a number of different administrations, the United States government has pushed Ukraine to join NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Imagine if Mexico fell under the direct military control of China. We would see that as a threat, of course. There'd be no reason for that. Well, that's how Russia views NATO control of Ukraine, and why wouldn't they? We don't get anything out of pushing Ukraine into NATO, so why are we doing this? Clint Ehrlich is a Russia policy researcher. He understands this issue quite well, and we're happy to have him join us this evening. Clint, thanks so much for coming on. So is it too simplistic to say the core dispute here is over Ukraine joining NATO? I would say that that's Russia's perspective. But here we have people who are arguing that even if the Russians don't uh, invade Ukraine, that we need to invade and kick the Russians out of Crimea. That was an op-ed from a senior Obama administration official this week. Uh, and so I would say that it's even simpler than that. We're dealing with our warmongers, unserious people whose policy prescriptions could have deadly serious consequences. Well, they're deeply unserious people, and they're also people with a long and publicly available track record of failure of conflicts that have diminished the United States materially over the last 20 years. So why do they get a say in this? They're failures. They like to portray themselves as cold warriors, but the architect of America's strategy during the Cold War, George Kennan, warned that NATO expansion could lead us towards war with Russia. And he's been vindicated. We're now on the precipice of that kind of conflict. And so it's a great question. Why is it that we should listen to these people? Well, I couldn't agree more. I mean, if Max Boot is still making your foreign policy, it's kind of your fault. I would say. <laughs> but I, I, and this is a sincere question. Is there something I'm missing? Is there some compelling American interest that would be served by having... Ukraine and NATO. No, the, the deeper irony is that NATO doesn't even want Ukraine, that it's a corrupt country, it's more of a liability than it would be a military asset. And the people who are pushing this simply argue that it needs to happen because Russia shouldn't have a veto over who's in NATO. In other words, even when it's in our mutual interest to not have a state in NATO, we have to insist that they'll be added just to spite the Russians. Look, I want to take people seriously, all people, even people I disagree with, maybe especially people I disagree with, but this seems nuts. 
Is that your assessment? Tucker, it's not just nuts, it's, it's dangerous. I mean, we're sleepwalking towards conflict with a country that has more than 4,000 nuclear weapons. The, the Russians are talking about potentially deploying strategic forces to Cuba and Venezuela in a repeat of the Cuban Missile Crisis. And so it's just shocking that people are not more upset about this because the lives of Americans are being threatened over a situation where we have no vital strategic national interest. So since 1945, we've really only fought wars against poor, disorganized third world countries, North Korea, Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria. Do you think that that's convinced a lot of our policymakers that it's like easy to fight wars? I think that it's convinced them of that. And also, we haven't had war inside our country. The Russians have. They understand the reality of war and what it's like to lose millions of people in a conflict. And somehow our policymakers just imagine that war can never reach us. Uh, And the reality is that you and I are in danger from this conflict, Tucker. The people that we love are in danger. Uh, And it's just incredibly disturbing that this is happening. It really is. Clint Ehrlich, I... So, you know... That's the thing. I mean, if we start bringing a, in uh, Ukraine into NATO, right. right? Which I was on the fence with that. I have to be honest uh, with regard to Ukraine being in NATO. But when we bring Ukraine into NATO, it means that we are uh, basically uh, neutralizing uh, Russia's aggression, but we're also a threat to Russia because a NATO country has missiles point javelin missiles or whatever those are defensive but mm-hmm. um, missiles pointing directly at Russia and so that would then create uh, an urgency for Russia to reemerge in Cuba mm-hmm. reemerge in Venezuela they've been talking about that with China uh, partnering with China you know they have a huge naval base because of the Middle East crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, they wouldn't be there if it wasn't for the fact that there's so much conflict in the Middle East. Uh, the Afghanistan situation, they were there because they wanted to uh, expand their uh, their leverage in, the, in, the re- in that region and um, not necessarily expand their, te- their empire or their territory, uh, but their leverage in that reason, region. It's sort of like while we got involved in Vietnam, these are all bad ideas, and we wouldn't have had a need to uh, be in Vietnam if it wasn't for Russia's and China's influence uh, with the communist states of North Korea. So uh, where there's no need, uh, they're not going to spend mm-hmm. money uh, unnecessarily. So they would have no interest in being a threat in our South America, in our hemisphere, or in Cuba. You know, just miles, you know, off of um, off the coast of Florida, um, they wouldn't have a need to be putting muscle uh, missiles targeted directly at Anchorage, Alaska, or somewhere like that. Uh, there wouldn't need to be this aggression. Uh, they wouldn't have to spend that money, uh, and then they wouldn't have to be so trigger happy. You know, if someone makes a mistake with the red button, you know, uh, you're you're going to have all out nuclear war. So. <clears throat> You know, one of the things that you get is peace through strength. And I think that Trump, you know, looked Putin in the eye, <laughs> to quote some presidential leaders, yeah. and basically said, you know, you're good with, I'm good with you, you're good with me. Need to, didn't need to talk in platitudes about seeing someone's soul or making up some of this stuff that these leaders make up, these morons. President Trump, was, uh, approached everything from a business perspective, but it's he was business. also but he was also criticized, as you well know, by the liberals for making it look almost as if he was cozying up to Putin. Where in actuality, you basically, as we've been talking all week about Biden, he's letting um, Putin telegraph uh, what he's doing. Yeah, you but, know, but he made us energy independent. Right, Trump did over, he, almost overnight. Almost overnight, and and, 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 he, and Biden walked that back, and he said no to the Nord Stream two. Right. Exactly. And he, he, uh, Biden and he got rid of those sanctions now. Well, he did it publicly. He said, why in the world is NATO, you know, because everybody thought Trump's going to pull out of NATO. And what Trump did was he said, no, there's a bunch of deadbeats over here called, called NATO nations that aren't paying their bills. And they want the United States to pay the, the lion's share of NATO when they're the direct benefactors of NATO. Yeah. 
And with regard to Ukraine, there aren't much. And uh, President Trump, all, you know, got impeached over Ukraine. Yeah. So, so Russia imports gas through the Ukraine. Now, Putin would be hesitant to appear to uh, to interfere with its supply route, but with the Nord Stream two bypassing Ukraine, Russia is not is no longer bound by the same caution. So by so what um, so what. Um, Biden did with le- with re- getting lifting the sanctions um, with regard to Nord Stream just hands more power to Russia. And when we walk back what happened with President Trump and you revisit some of the, the comments that were t- told at the time, we heard all these things, oh, you know, Trump's in Putin's pocket where nothing could have been further than the truth. Uh, you know, and there's nothing wrong with being able to make a semblance of getting along with other world leaders. Doesn't mean you sanction everything they do, but we de- but we do need to appear strong. And, and going back to a comment you um, said from a while ago, Reagan, uh, you know, peace through strength. It's important that we show our strength. And what we're seeing with Biden is on a daily basis, we are seeing him not appearing strong. You read the foreign press and what it, no, it doesn't matter what country you're reading. Everybody is talking about the weak U.S. president yeah, right now. But Everybody. It is, and, and it's weak when they t- talk out of both sides of their mouth. Yes. Uh, because. Some benefit from him being weak. Yeah, so, well, well, not just that. But, I mean, Putin has the dirt on the Bidens. Yes. That's number one. And number two, the Telegraph came out with this uh, news story, and they said Joe Biden's gaffe may have inadvertently revealed the truth about his Ukraine policy. The president appeared to suggest that a minor incursion by Russia wouldn't result in harsh sanctions. So basically as a green light to uh, Russia to do whatever they want to do. And in fact, you know, Biden said, well, there's no stopping. There's no way to stop. He's going to have to make a move. He's going to do something. So... um, there's that, and then there's the Nord Stream 2, where we ceded leverage. Yeah. Uh, away, you know, we ceded leverage to Russia. Uh, President Trump never did that. No. You know, he called Germany out as hypocrites. They're not paying their NATO bills, and they're, they're uh, hoarding this oil for profit. Uh, they claim that they're all about climate change, and yet... They're promoting oil distribution through Europe because it's a cheap form of energy. And not to mention the fact that it's going to make Russia rich. And all of that came to fruition now under the Biden globalist agenda. And uh, that's the part that uh, bugs me the most because uh, Trump was anti-globalism. And... Uh, there's a, just a bunch of globalist leaders that talk out of both sides of the mouth. They say they want NATO, but they never put any money into it. So Trump held them accountable for that. It made NATO stronger, but the United States didn't have to pay an extra dime. There's there's that part of it. But the, the whole Nord Stream 2 thing, uh, ceding leverage to Russia and giving Russia everything that they wanted without anything in return. Mm-hmm. And in fact... Now Russia is going to get more inroads into Ukraine. They already have Crimea under under Obama. Now they're going to get more of you more of Ukraine, not Ukraine, but more of Ukraine. The part that they want, the part that you were talking about, Leonor, with regard to the distribution channels, yeah, yeah, and the cooperation, absolutely. They're going to get that through uh, Ukraine, and uh, okay, that's fine, I guess, but. That's if you want to strengthen Russia. So we don't necessarily want to strengthen Russia. We want to marginalize Russia. Um, so it's a little bit of a delicate balance. But Dan Crenshaw and uh, uh, of most of the left, they want to see Biden be tough. And they want to see Biden uh, gain control of the polls. And I think that they know that a, a war could do that. You know, uh, could help. Well, it's an old, it's an old misgiving. Now, yeah, is that somehow, like in the wake of nine eleven, you know, there was a lot of people that didn't like George W. Bush, right. and then all of a sudden, the he, nation united. He, there this was a halo this, effect because of nine eleven. This is not the same thing. No, 
and to, to treat it. So there was the wag the dog uh, moment, right, uh, with Bill Clinton. Remember that? Yes, I do. And he wanted well. to change the the narrative from the scandal, and in, in part. This and then they made about, a movie about it. Yeah, and in part, this talk about um, uh, Russia and Ukraine, which is actually kind of a lightweight story if you really peel that onion. Mm-hmm. Um, like Tucker was saying, Ukraine is not much. Yeah. Except they're a very corrupt country run by a comedian. Well, and also, I, also I think what happens is they're still in our dna this anti-russian reflex that we that we have to always be prepared to oppose russia at all moments and well and that's a narrative that started with the russian hoax it, yeah well well i think i think it started you know well, year that, i think it started many many decades before that yeah and that was to exploit black markets with john mccain and lindsey graham no, i'm even going well before that yeah. But the thing is, um, but we really still need, I mean, make no mistake, I mean, Putin, you know, Putin is a despot, you know, we're not trying to say anything different. But the point is, why, why are we in Ukraine? You know, everybody's saying, okay, we have to support um, them, we have to help, you know, they're no longer part of the Soviet Union since 1991. But why are we supporting them? If we if if we don't want them in NATO, the, the the reason to support them is because they would be a NATO ally, right? I mean, we're not supporting people just for the sake of uh, nation building or uh, humanitarian purposes. There has to be strategic reasons beyond that, partner long term partnership reasons, and perhaps in the situation. Those reasons are not really as solid as the the, uh, left likes people to believe. Well, um, the Federalist put out an article uh, called A Scandal for Every Month, The Biggest Botches, Failures, and (laughs) Mess-Ups of Joe Biden's First 12 Months in Office. And, you know, the thing is, is that the good news, the good news is that... uh, We've gotten away with uh, the the conservatives have fought yeah hard and I think we've made inroads into election fraud but we need to do a lot better there. Um, Trump has become <clears throat> the heir apparent. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the conservative leadership acknowledges that any it would be political suicide mm-hmm. to go against Trump. Yeah, Trump is the party lion, lion, uh, the party lion. Yeah. And we'll run if he wants and do what he wants. Yeah. Um, and that's great. Um, there seems to be that the media wants to drive a fissure between DeSantis and Trump. Yeah. And they're doing that for strategic reasons. That's not working out too well they're for They're trying them. to divide. And that's an attempt to d- divide the right. Right. Exactly. To, to create a, to not just to create and a it, splinter of the and, people and supporting doing it them. over vaccines and COVID and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Um, but then the other part of it is uh, there's just been a lot of scandals. And if we, we take back the House and the Senate, uh, we're going to uncover a lot of the fraud related to Fauci. We're going to uncover uh, what Jim Jordan's been working mm-hmm. on with regard to the pay-to-play schemes uh, that have been going on to create a narrative, mm-hmm. a false narrative for this COVID. Um, and then the globalists are starting to uh, acquiesce uh, I don't know if you've heard this, Leonore. I played this for our audience yesterday, but uh, this is Boris Johnson. Listen to this. This is a tea leaf. This is basically momentum going in the right direction. The government will no longer mandate the wearing of face masks anywhere. <laughs> Mr. Speaker. <laughs> Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, from, from tomorrow, from tomorrow, we will no longer require face masks in classrooms, and the Department, and the Department for Education will shortly remove national guidance uh, on their use in communal areas. In the country at large, we will continue to suggest the use of face coverings in enclosed or crowded spaces, particularly when you come into contact with people you don't normally meet, but we will trust the judgment of the British people criminalize anyone who chooses not to wear one well if you would only take that show on the road with regard to the vaccine passports which have now become 
uh, not just vaccine passports, but the social credit score systems, mm-hmm. uh, which I've been saying the vaccine passports is a gateway to the uh, uh, credit scores, uh, social credit score systems. Um, and someone had pointed that out rightly that, uh, um, you know, before you applaud Boris Johnson for doing that move, which I think is great, mm-hmm. trusting the people. And t- tell that to Jokovic in Austri- Australia. Australia is the worst. Who would have ever thought? Um, but uh, we really got to still continue this attack. Take those words and make them eat them. Uh, because if you're going to trust the British people or the American people uh, as far as masks and therapeutics and all these other aspects of this pandemic, uh, you also ought to get into the area of vaccine mandates uh, that are, to me, unconstitutional. And um, and uh, and the social credit score systems, which we don't want. What are your thoughts on that? Well, of course, we don't want a social credit score system. And again, with the uh, vaccine mandates, you know, you're still seeing pushback against them in every country. People do not want to be forced to get a vaccine. People want to be able to make the choice for themselves. Many, you know, you know, COVID is a reality. Um, you know, we're not, COVID was, is, was, is not manufactured. There are people dying of COVID. We can't say that that is not true. But on the other hand, to mandate that people get vaccinated so that they can physically enter a restaurant or they can uh, go into a store, or I mean, some of this becomes... Um, a way of the government controlling everything that you're doing. And it's impractical and it's impossible to enforce. It's impossible to enforce. But the bigger concern from my mind is this is really a big brother type thing. Yeah, I, we, we need to have a little bit of freedom in our, you know, and you how know, we manage our health care. You know what, though? Uh, Apple and Facebook are fighting with each other right yeah. now. And... Uh, Facebook is starting to compete in different ways with Apple. Uh, but Facebook's brand recognition in terms of their um, likability yeah. is is in the, in the basement. It's you know it's it's plummeting. People hate Facebook now. F- people hate Facebook because Facebook makes Facebook does a lot of things. They make for, for example, they make conservative organizations go through hoops to even try to uh, you know promote no, what events. What they're doing with our privacy. And the, well, that's where I was about yeah. to go. I mean, the violations of the privacy are incredible. And and then you know and then just in terms of what they do in general, the younger generations are losing interest in Facebook. I mean, it's started as true. something on a college campus but if you ask a teenager these days they don't care about facebook they're like instagram or tiktok or whatever the heck snapchat, or snapchat like you know all those things facebook is becoming something your over 40 year old parent does which wasn't necessarily you know what it was originally intended to be it was an originally intended to be the technical version of the you know the freshman handbook so you could see what your classmates look like right you right. know i mean for for various reasons but and it expanded into so much more but the but the thing is they still continue to try to throttle conservatives well, and Twitter, conservatives have to go through a lot of hoops to try to even do a paid ad on facebook yeah and true uh trump has his social network server coming up uh coming up online on February 21st. Getter is making a lot of inroads uh, against Twitter. The, the look and feel is very similar. Yeah. Um, so I think that a lot of these... The, the Democrats are going to be in big trouble when they lose the advantage of owning and controlling the big yeah. tech. And then you'll see the, the uh, Democrats um, basically trying to take on draconian measures. Yeah. But it's not hard to remember a Biden disaster for every month of this of his first year at the Stern or in the basement, as the case may be. <laughs> in the basement. Joe Biden has been in the Oval Office or that weird set in the Eisenhower Building South Court Auditorium yeah. with the green screen windows for a year now. And he's already managed to make his short presidency presidency known for a long time a long lineup of scandals botches and slip-ups you know i was looking at those windows and i was saying those look fake yeah you know and it's funny um i'm going to read that one more time 
or that weird set in the Eisenhower Building's South Court Auditorium with the green screen windows. Ah, that's interesting. It's too hard to be. Uh, it's too hard to narrow the list down to one top failure. Although his disgraceful handle, disgracefully handled Afghanistan withdrawal may be the most sobering. And, in, and believe me, Putin saw that and realized that there's nobody home upstairs in Joe Biden's head. And there seems to be uh, no one really coherently running the show. Uh, I think you, you have a lot of competing interests running our foreign policy into the ground. Yeah. But everybody's jockeying for position. And see, that's the thing. You, you need one strong leader. I think that was his weakest moment was what happened in Afghanistan when I looked through this list. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's loads of other so uh, terrible and, things. And, uh, we have we, a we, short amount right, of time. Well, so. we could quickly just read, read them off. So you, so you start off with January. Biden's radical first week. He signed a radically left-wing um, list of executive orders, including an order requiring that schools must ignore the biological differences between male and female students from the athletic field to the bathroom if they wish to continue receiving federal funding. So in other words, um, you need to have uh, unisex bathrooms if you're going to get federal funding, and, and yeah. which created a scenario where boys dressed up as uh, as girls were in the girls' rooms. And I mean, you know, it's... In Biden's first week, Press Secretary Jen Psaki also signaled the administration's plans to reinstate federal funding for abortions around the world with the reversal of the Mexico City policy and the new president canceled the Keystone XL pipeline in the first week. Yeah. Now, now, in February, Biden's CDC worked to keep the schools closed. I mean, and we, you know, that went on for a while. In March, he, you know, just moving on the COVID theme, he worked with corporations to create the Vax passports. In April, he de- debuted a radical social spending plan, which was called the American Families Plan, a list of far-left spending priorities, many of which would become hallmarks of his struggling build-back bankrupt agenda. <laughs> the goals of the proposed $1.8 trillion spending spree included extending government schooling fully into preschool and two years of taxpayer-provided community college. Again, you know what this is. This is an attempt to extend the government's tentacles into our lives by having them take over preschool, having them you know, also provide community college, which, which is seemingly presented as something positive because they're offering it as free. But the more they give you, the more they're taking from you because there are no free lunches. Um, so, again, we got more about Hunter. Uh, that happening. And then uh, and that was in May, you know, more scandals with Hunter. And then, of course, June, we had we reached an apex with a record setting crisis at the southern border. Um, Biden's crisis at the southern border had been setting records all year, but it was in June when the apprehension surged past one million for fiscal year 2021 and border crossings were at the highest levels since 2006. That's 15 years ago. In May alone, 170,000 people were captured, marking a 20 year high in July. He was bragging about working with big tech to silence dissent. Okay. <laughs> uh, we've been talking about Big Brother all along. And again, we've already mentioned the, the horribly bungled Afghanistan withdrawal in August. And in September, Biden lied to undermine his own Border Patrol agents. So there was a picture of a U.S. Border patrol agents on horseback which was misconstrued by democrats and their media allies to falsely accuse the agents of whipping criminals and biden promised to make his own and they get that wrong they got it wrong he promised to make his own cbp employees pay and the white house banned the agents in del rio texas from using horses going forward crazy and then October. Yeah, well, you know, that's the thing. There's no due process. Right? No they due just, process. You're convicted in the public eye immediately. Yeah. October, his Department of Justice Secretary, uh, his Education Secretary and Department of Justice Secretary co- colluded with the National School Boards Association to target parents by using terrorism laws. You know, that became famous. And that essentially cost... Uh, uh, Terry McAuliffe, his election in Virginia. Right, and you know what's worse? Those are self-enforced errors, and I'm yeah. going to let you continue yeah. here in a second. You're almost through the year. Yeah, but, you know, let's let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the numbers. Yeah. You know, the job numbers, the inflation. Yeah. 
you know, the, fa- the fact that people are making less. Our GDP, <laughs> our labor participation numbers are all uh, going inflation. Yeah, down, inflation uh, is going at, down the tubes. Uh, inflation is at seven percent. It was a little yeah. over one percent under President well, Trump. Nine point six when it comes to manufacturing, supply chain issues, all kinds of right economic failures. Well, so the, just finishing out the year, November, the we had the tyrannical, unconstitutional OSHA vax mandate that threatened a vaccine mandate for private businesses with 100 or more employees, which fortunately got stayed. But he's also uh, still requiring um, that te- healthcare workers, um, you know, have a have a mandatory vaccination. And then finally, December, the supply chain and inflation nightmare, which caused people not to receive their Christmas presents. All right, we got about another minute and a half. Yeah, so uh, that is, so it's been is, a- our clock is off uh, with regard to the. Uh, uh, the, the playlist. It's uh, been the, a record year. In a bad way for for Joe Biden. So, and you know what the thing is, Scott? You know what's happening is the left is having to own up to this. I mean, they can't hide uh, this man anymore. I mean, you, they they tried to hide him by not having him out there, but even when he isn't out there, gaffes are being made. Yeah, I don't know how it's happening, but it's still happening. And his people, the ones that are out there defending him such as press secretary jen saki i mean that woman's got a tough job i mean every day well, something happens that and, she has to st- she has to walk back and you know what's interesting is as a result of that you know you've heard of the trafalgar group yeah trafalgar group has his poll numbers at 38.7 percent disastrous rating uh for biden but voters prefer gop over dems 55.7 percent to 42.2 percent that's going to spell big trouble in the midterm elections. Absolutely. Because it's not just about a person anymore. It's not just about Trump or it's not just about Biden. It's about it's about G, the GOP or you know, Republicans versus Democrats. Yeah. And that to me is the big big story. And right what there. could happen is the Republicans will take back everything. That's in, right. In the midterm because and the general election of 2024. Yeah, when it's not just about a person. It's yeah. about you know, and not only that, but with the Trump rallies that are going to be sure to take place, uh, we're going to see, I think what we're going to see is we're going to see a turnout so much greater yeah. than an average midterm election Absolutely. for the GOP. One last Thanks thing, Me- meatloaf, rest in peace. Yeah, meatloaf, rest in peace. And with that, you know, I want to thank everybody for tuning into the Scott Adams Show. Be sure to check out scottadamshow.com for the latest podcast. And my name's Scott Adams. My name is Leonor Cravota. We'll see you all next time on the radio. Bye-bye, everybody. Town in Tennessee, a long way from the suits in DC, but close enough now to see this mess. Where I stand, the mound's getting steeper. They grab a shovel, dig a hole a little deeper, just to bury my kids right up to there.